podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So you can feel the excitement, can't you? Uh, yeah, the dribble of managers returning to FPL has now become the veritable stampede as our phones have lit up with questions, queries, theories and advice. Uh, admittedly, 75% of those notifications were about what to do if you have unlimited transfers and a free hit. <sighs> but anyway, focusing on the other 25% in terms of producing actual helpful content for managers, Nick and Stag with me today. And let's start with Nick. Uh, he's on his phone because of technical difficulties. You're right, mate. Good weekend. You're excited for the football ahead? Feel so close now to that start of the season. You can almost taste it. Um, only two positive tests from the latest rounds of coronavirus testing, though we did feel like we had a little bit of a near miss with the uh, Norwich player who played against Spurs. But that concerning sidebar um, ahead, it's, it's all good. So, yeah, looking forward to it all. We are Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL for Thomas, that's WGTA underscore Nick for myself, and that's FPL Stag for Anthony. And we are on Instagram as well, WGTA.FPL. Uh, so, Anthony, how are you doing? What's on the pod this week? Well, lads, uh, good to be back on again. Looking forward to Wednesday and all of the football and the overdose that is to come over the next few weeks. Um, this week, obviously, it's it's different because we actually have football around the corner again. No more Sunderland until I die or talking about matches deep into the future. We are here. So we're going to start off this time with a slightly changed schedule and that we're going to bring market forces to the fore and look at who are people picking up first. We'll use that then to kind of bring us on to position by position which players are we actually going to pick? And then we'll talk about our own personal plans. Um, we are not going to have a Q&A this week. What we're going to do instead is we're just going to build that in and blend it into our pod as we go through rather than just doing questions at the end. It's been a while, Nick, but um, we're going to start the market forces and that's the man across numbers. You haven't been across numbers for a while, but surrounded by three monitors of numbers. I'm guessing you're very, very excited by this. So what's going on with the data? Good to see, um, you know, with unlimited transfers, so much going on and lots and lots of activity um, to talk through. Uh, so if we focus perhaps first on who's being transferred in, who managers are targeting, it's, it's Jack Grealish, who's actually the most transferred in uh, player right now, the Aston Villa midfielder, the um, perhaps the talisman of the Aston Villa team as well. Uh, we've got 280,000 transfers in so far. A very popular pick, Aston Villa, obviously. They've got the double game week, Sheffield United and Chelsea um, um, in game week 30-plus. So, uh, you know, reasonable fixtures, at least with a double. And Grealish is their main man. He's, he's going to probably play in 90 minutes each game. So, a lot of people targeting him. And you, you can see the appeal, even if um, you do worry about Aston Villa's uh, prospects for the uh, rest of the season. Otherwise, um, it's Sergio Aguero. He's having a little bit of a renaissance, you know. He's perhaps one of those um, picks that, you know, we've all got these fond, nostalgic memories of him scoring and everyone, you know, hat-tricks for our FPL teams and everything in the past, you know, a very nostalgic pick for many managers. So he's he's second most transferred in play with um, 225,000 transfers in at time of recording. Um, yeah, so Greenish and Agrema is transferred in players, but otherwise you've got Marcus Rashford, 200,000 transfers in. Perhaps not one for game week 30 plus. They've got the, you know, the tougher game against Spurs, but after that, Manchester United have a really nice run of fixtures. So a lot of managers perhaps thinking to the future there with Rashford. And um, rounding up the top five, we've got De Bruyne, um, 180,000 transfers in for the Manchester City midfield. A very understandable, those are without him bringing him in, obviously, with the Manchester City double and just being fantastic over the course of this season. And, and finally, it's uh, Dean Henderson, actually. 
160,000 chances in for the Sheffield United goalkeeper. Obviously, Sheffield United do have the double. It's a little bit of an interesting pick, really, because he is ineligible for that game week 31 match against Manchester United. So hopefully um, not too many managers have been caught out by that. Well, we're definitely seeing that kind of popularity for Sheffield United defenders ahead of the double kind of coming through. And maybe another player whose uh, inclusion in the transfers in is pretty interesting is John Lundstrom, who's the most transferred in defender with 157,000 transfers in at time of recording. Now, this is something which has perplexed me to another level. We have Sander Berg there who had effectively taken his place. John Fleck is obviously in midfield taking that other kind of Lundstrom role in the Sheffield United team. And you're kind of wondering, what are people thinking? It's, it's not August anymore. Yeah, that is a bit of an interesting pick. I feel like a lot of people probably just saying, oh, Sheffield United have a double game week. Oh, who's the uh, top scoring Sheffield United defender right now? It's, it's John Lundstrom. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, he was a fantastic pick, 4.0 million out of position. He was getting returns like nobody's business. But yeah, you know, with Sanderberg there, you do have to worry about that particular selection. It's not one that I necessarily agree with. I know it's one that you polled on as well, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, it's no, it's interesting. It definitely comes up later on. I'm just not, I'm just in two minds about him. I just feel more and more that he's just a cover pick. I don't see the upside as much as perhaps other people do, other believers in the King Lungstrom. Um, in terms of the transfers out this week, Danny Ings, interestingly, is at the top of that list. 241,000 transfers out. And there's, there's a few strikers here, aren't there, Nick, on the list, especially in terms of the top five? Yeah, yeah. So Danny Ings, um, with Norwich up next, you know, gaining 30 plus, it does seem a bit of a strange pick to be sort of top of the chart of the transfers out. And I do feel like a lot of managers are potentially going to get punished by um, all of these sales. So Mo Salah, he's second um, in terms of transfers out with 220,000 and managers transferring out. But he obviously, he's the top scorer in the game, but he doesn't have the double. So people clearly setting him to you know, fund the likes of Aguero and, you know, the likes of Sterling. But otherwise, yeah, as you said, lots of forwards being sold heavily. Calvert-Lewin of Everton, uh, Jimenez, um, another player seemingly being transferred out for no real reason other than the fact he's not got a double. Very strange one, I think that is. And um, Jamie Vardy, top scorer in the Premier League this season, also being transferred out. So um, a lot of um, odd players perhaps being transferred out. But it just shows sort of the, the energy in the market and people focusing on, on the double and you know the allure of unlimited transfers being too much for some perhaps. Yeah, certainly uh, an interesting set of characters on both sides. And like, but you put a little thread out earlier on, didn't you, Nick, about what you think may happen during the during the proper season. What were your predictions? So, yeah, I think we're going to see a, a lot of swings in terms of the transfer activity just because of the tight deadlines. I mean, uh, managers like myself are planning on wildcarding next game week, and I'm only going to have about 22 hours um, to kind of wrap up my wildcard in between when the Manchester City match against Burnley finishes about sort of 10 o'clock on the Monday versus the um, sort of 6 p.m. start of. Leicester versus Brighton. So, yeah, about 20 hours or so just to set up that wildcard team. So, you're going to see huge swings of people like transferring out. Aguero suddenly comes from most transferred players, from most transferred out, perhaps. And, uh, you know, it'll be manic and frantic activity, I think. So, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, especially with sort of football on basically every day um, over the course of the next month or so. 
Yeah, one thing I would add on the market forces is just if you look at the market forces for players that aren't double game week players, let's say, I think what you actually see is quite a lot of people have been transferred out and they're almost have the same amount of transfers in, which I guess shows you that there's quite a lot of maybe short term is thinking going on with players using their um, effective wildcard right now to set up for the double game week and nothing else. So the likes of Sionsu, Doherty, uh, Manchester United players are heavily coming in, but they're not obviously being sold because they weren't... Um, they weren't owned in high numbers, but you're also seeing Jimenez and Vardy kind of in that same position where they're being sold a lot, but also bought quite a lot for long-term fixtures. Yeah, I, I feel, uh, I hope people have paid attention to the lost value idea um, because I'm suspecting we're going to find a lot of people maybe next week complaining that, oh, I used to be able to afford my wildcard team, did some transfers out, and now I can't afford anything. I'm 0.5 short. Why is that? Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that most people listen to this pod at least are, are mindful of such value things. But yeah, thanks, Nick. And it's, it's I guess it's not surprising to see this sort of uncertainty in some ways, or at least people tooling up towards the incoming double game week to kick us off. Uh, let's deep dive now into kind of the players for the final nine. So, um, selection criteria, stuff that we're interested in, the reason why players are included here are motivation. So, players who have that sort of extra little bit about them um, that doesn't consign them to being on the beach. They've still got a tangible goal in front of them. Maybe a player who's got no crowd who may perform a little bit better underneath that, but definitely players who are talisman, who are sloppy seconds, who are those key point scorers within their teams. Um, we will be looking at long-term picks mostly, but we will, at the end of each kind of position, provide one-week punts for those who are free-hitting or unlimited transfers and then bench-boosting. So trying to cover the whole range of it in this pod. But yeah, those are such criteria. And I guess we've got to start with goalkeepers. <sighs> Let's get into it. Uh, the, we've got a couple of questions on this, even though we are going to breeze over keepers. Let's face it, it's a bit boring. FPL Blonde and FPL Filthy Casual ask about the best goalkeepers to own. They're pretty unsexy, aren't they? And I think this year what we've seen is that the cheap goalkeepers have won out pretty much entirely. So in years past, we've seen David De Gea, we've seen uh, the likes of Edison, probably still featuring in teams, and Alistair indeed featuring in teams up until the very, very end. But it feels like this year has been the year of the cheap keeper. Um, and the exit velocity so over the last six games before we went on the break. And Nick Pope, um, who'd been sold by many, many people, came from nowhere to absolutely smash it. So he'd scored 39 points in the last six. Uh, followed by Rui Patricio, a surprise entry, um, 35. And then a mixture of David De Gea and Dean Henderson, uh, as Nick calls him, Denders, and Greater on 32. Um, Pope was arguably in the best form as well. So he had a 1.73 expected clean sheets, but actually kept four. Absolute lad. Henderson's a man who's been brought in by quite a few here. In terms of going forward, so if you haven't brought him in for your free hit, but brought him in just in general, four of his next six are really hard after double game week. And he can't play in game week 31 because he's uh, on loan from Manchester United. So, yeah, interesting situation for some. Perhaps we've got McCarthy or you know, you've got some sort of other backup going on. I, I don't really know. But in terms of keepers, do you think it's fair to say, guys, that the cheap keepers have won out this year? Or is there anything to be said for expensive keepers? I suspect not. I think definitely. I think in terms of what we said in the pre-season about keepers and, and preferring sort of going for the, the cheaper, better value ones at 4.5 million, he's definitely been vindicated when you compare it to like having to pay 5.5 million for the likes of Kepper or, or Larice. Stephanie seems like um, a waste of money now. And uh, yeah, the 4.5 million keepers have, have won that um, battle. But I thought it was worth highlighting now, actually, that those keepers aren't 4.5 million anymore. If you're talking about setting up your wild card, your free hit, you're having to pay 5.3 million now for the likes of Dean Henderson or 4.9 for Nick Pope. 
you know, I, I compared that to, um, you know, it's a team in the top six, supposedly. You've got Bernd Leno at Arsenal, five million. Um, so he's actually 0.3 million cheaper than Sheffield United's Dean Henderson. He's got um, a double game week, just like Dean Henderson. And Arsenal have actually got better fixtures compared to Sheffield United's, um, you know, ignoring the game week 31 plus that Dean Henderson can't even play in. It still feels like, you know, for me at least, Le- Leno is, is the optimum and best pick out there for the goalkeepers right now because he is um, he is cheaper as well. Yeah, Nick definitely uh, echoing that there. And that's, I guess, brings us on to the double game week, doesn't it? And that's something that uh, desperately seeking Dusan or Alan, as he's better known to us, um, was asking us, uh, as a straight pick between keepers for game week 30 plus, uh, Dean Henderson surely wins out over Leno, so says Alan. But as part of a free hit team or quasi free hit uh, transfer team uh, with a view to the wildcard straight after, would overall points optimization entail going with Leno due to the dearth of Arsenal options outside of Leno and Oba with more points to be gained from Sheffield United in the outfield. So basically, are there just so many outfield players at Sheffield that we'd want to pick that you know you wouldn't go for Dean Henderson anyway? So you might as well put Leno in because at least he does come with the clean sheet potential and save potential, which Dean Henderson would come with anyway. And I think, look, Nick has probably answered that question quite well. And I actually would agree with him that I think Leno is probably a better long-term pick in the sense that, okay, you're probably going to be covering your Sheffield United defense elsewhere anyway through your Lundstrom if you're going for that uh, those bench points or if you're getting someone like John Egan or Enda Stevens or something. And so Leno comes with actually a team that is coming together defensively. Like They had three clean sheets and four pre-COVID. And I think with a manager who is so systemic like Mikel Arteta, I think that that wasn't something that was you know fl- a flash in the pan. I think it might be sustainable for that Arsenal team as everything comes together. And their better players come back to fitness as well, the likes of Hector Bellerin. That's where you're coming from with Leno. I just... The more I've looked at Jay Leno over the course of this series, the course of this series, so it's not his late night show, the course of this uh, lockdown free hit sort of time, the less I've liked him, the less I've liked the idea of backing Arsenal defence and just watching it through my hands the whole time. Uh, Sanket, by the way, also asked about Leno or Rayner. So Leno's doing well in of himself in goal for Arsenal, looking at the numbers. But defensively, I think team stats are just so important. And to narrow this down into Leno versus Henderson or Sheffield United versus Arsenal, the last six, the XGC before we stopped, uh, Sheffield United had the fourth lowest expected concede, 6.62. Arsenal had the seventh highest on 10. Um, this also poo-poo's Rayner, by the way. He was fourth for saves over the last six with 22. So not, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but one, neither might get the nod. And two, they had a massive 14 XGC in the last six before we stopped. So Villa, one, allowing lots of shots. And two, just allowing lots of high-quality shots. That defence is pretty much been worthy as far as I'm concerned. Q2 clean sheets, of course. Um, and another way of looking at the data is looking at the first six games of the season, just in case, you know, I might miss something or, you know, we're restarting again. Maybe there's an element of looking at how things look at the start. At the start of this season, uh, Sheffield United for XUC were 11th, 8.64, level with the likes of Wolves and Chelsea, so pretty respectable, whereas Arsenal found themselves third from bottom under Emery, 12.56 XUC in the first six games. So for the next couple, at least, um, I would back... Uh, Sheffield United, who have got that nicer double game week, Aston Villa and Newcastle over Arsenal's. But going forward, I definitely see what Anthony's saying in terms of hopefully Arsenal coming together. We shall see whether David Luiz can can hold hold the Arsenal defence together. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, Leno could be good, good value for money, especially if you factor in he's actually now cheaper, isn't it? Because Met points out too. Yeah, I, I think I, I think so. I think 
generally, I would still say probably I'm actually going for both because I'm going to be bench boosting in the, in this week. But um, if it was a straight sweat, I think I'd still go for Leno over Dean Henson. And I'd also probably highlight the fact that, you know, in the Sheffield United defence, you've got a, quite a decent selection of players that you could bring in to, to cover. So if you wanted to cover the Sheffield United defence, you could double up with the likes of um, with the likes of Ender Stevens and, and George Bulldog or you know, even John Lundstrom perhaps. But um, with Arsenal, you, you don't really know who's going to start. There's a lot of players back um, from injury. David Luiz is too expensive at 5.7 million. You've got the fullbacks back, maybe Bellerin or someone. But, you know, in left back, you know, there's plenty of players that can play in that position. So there's not really an obvious um, starter um, out there. Whilst with Sheffield United, we know who's going to start every single game in that um, in that defence. Oh, yeah. No, I, th- I think you're right. Um it- Going forward as a Dean Henson owner, I'm I'm not too sure what I'm going to do with him. I've got McCarthy as the backup keeper, so maybe I'll just kind of leave them there. I just it's a goalkeeper at the end of the day. Like I'm just going to leave. I'm probably just going to leave them unless I've, it'd be a great day when I find that I've got a free transfer to use on a, on a goalkeeper. I have nothing better to do. But especially given what's going to be going on in the upcoming perhaps transfer market madness, I, I just think I'm going to basically have Henderson and and McCarthy for the rest of the season. God, that sounds so depressing, doesn't it? Um, well, maybe not with Henderson, but he. The fixtures are pretty tough for them. Right, let's move on on board the goalkeepers. Let's move on to defenders. And it's quite interesting, this one, uh, because there's kind of two distinct camps, aren't there? There's the wing-backs and there's the centre-backs. Which way do we go at back? Uh, the FPL plunker asks, which defenders are best to go with for the remainder of the season? Um, and for this one, we, did, we didn't do a double a double game week slash... Uh, we didn't do a double game week pump for the for the goalkeepers because they're goalkeepers, come on. But we'll, we'll do that from now on, uh, per section. Um, and I think this kind of opens up the discussion on 90-minute men. Uh, versus the more kind of creative, the more kind of energetic roles in the team. Um, just say so I looked at a bit of the data on this on, Premier League, on the Premier League and there are 15 90-minute men this season. Eight of them are goalkeepers, five of them are defenders. That's Tarkovsky, me, uh, Van Dyke, Maguire and uh, goal-shy hero Connor Cody, who I think has gone two years now without ever registering a goal attempt and somehow got a 0.5 million price rise last year. Nice one, FPL. And uh, there's two midfielders as well on the list. Uh, Declan Rice, a former Irishman, and JWP. So on top of that, George Baldock, um, Jack O'Connell, and Bernd Leno um, have also played every minute for their clubs, but they've played one less game, obviously, because of the postponement. So Maguire and DVD, I already own here. And there's lots of kind of nailed-on defenders in the cheap seats, like you know Gary Cahill, who may also fit in this. And I guess kind of weighing up 90-minute men and... The wing backs is going to be really important, isn't it, guys? Because in terms of kind of creating the best defense you can, there are lots of different kind of ways of looking. What do you guys reckon in terms of the best blend here? So I think this was something we discussed a few weeks ago when we were trying to glean a few learnings from the Bundesliga. And what we had seen was that quite a lot of fullbacks were being substituted, but we hadn't really looked into the, the minute data on that. But uh, the Reddit user uh, Atmos Guisher uh, has looked into it. And so I'm just going to uh, pick up a few of the stats that I saw there. Look, the most interesting thing is that 92% of the fullback subs that actually happened in the Bundesliga happened after the 60-minute mark. And like honestly, for me, I'm quite happy if my fullback is being hauled off at 65 minutes. I get my my clean sheet if it's going to be there. There's less time for me to lose it as far as I'm concerned. Like Unless it's somebody like Trent Alexander-Arnold or Robbo, for example, who possess a huge attacking potential, it's totally fine. Like If it's Ender Stevens that's getting hauled off at 65 that's grand too, isn't it? I, I, I'm not as concerned as I previously was, let's say, to do with our fullbacks and 90-minute men. 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting point to note that we, we were worried, obviously, with the fixture congestion, you know, the, these game weeks coming thick and fast and um, the additional substitutions that have been given to, to managers that we might see, you know, these, these early substitutions. But the, uh, yeah, the analysis um, from the Reddit users are very interesting in terms of, you know, giving us perhaps a, a little bit more reassurance that these fullbacks um, won't be substituted. Um, often, I think that when it comes to that sort of battle between fullbacks and centre backs, uh, fullbacks tend to have that higher point ceiling, don't they? When you look at the sort of historical records and, and how it's gone so far this season, how sort of the top eight scoring defenders, it's like, sorry, ignoring Lindstrom for a minute, only two of them are centre backs, it's all fullbacks. And that's mainly because often, you know, they're the ones sort of creating chances um, and also getting inside the box. So those attacking fullbacks, like they're mad. Doherty and obviously the, the Liverpool defenders, other, other guys like late, um, previously Leighton Baines, but you know, Luca Dean, for instance, at Everton. These players are quite exciting to watch, so I've always kind of preferred to pick the uh, the fullbacks over the centre backs as perhaps a slightly more uh, sort of sexy option. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I can't think of anything more exciting for you, Nick, than the two centre backs uh, holding it out in a nil nil draw, don't they? I can imagine that's sort of thing that gives you wet dreams. But anyway, um, moving on to some numbers here. So, top five point scorers in defence before the pause. Unsurprising names here. So, Matt Doherty was top, uh, TAA was second. Wambisaka and Maguire. Um, I did have mentioned that United were the form team before the game paused. 35 and 34 points respectively. And Romain Sice uh, was fifth with 33. Uh, but those two key men, the wing-backs, really, really important and really just ridiculous numbers, actually. Uh, TAA was bossing the XA. Doxy was bossing the XG. And Doxy also had the most touches in the box. Um, and at the start of the season, I had a look to um, Lundstram uh, was the, in the first six games had the most points scored, followed by TAA and then three irrelevant players in terms of uh, Vestergaard remember him um, Peters and Pereira um, who is sadly injured and um, TAA again had the highest XA and XG and TAA in general just wow okay yeah this guy can cover your Liverpool attack I think and um, one stat that I picked out which is a lesser seen stat is is entries into the box He's had an astonishing 420 of these throughout the season. That's 168 more than second place Luca Dean. And the ratio of in the final last six games is absolutely stupid. So he had 107 entries into the box in that time period. That's more than double the player who was second, uh, Van Anhalt, with 44. 95.5% minutes played as well. Great data. I think he is probably a good pick and Doherty is probably a good pick. Doherty, Doherty is probably a good pick as well. So both of them, um, I think, are probably the two supreme wingbacks. And uh, you'll probably hear me struggling with pronouncing that guy's name. I'm just going to call him Dot from now on just because I'm very upset at seeing how much Anthony's wincing at me trying to do it. I never <laughs> felt as com- self-conscious performing in that saying a name before. Yeah, I have both Matt Doherty and Trent Alexander-Arnold in my team, keeping that in mind. I mean, just one thing that I sh- maybe should have gone into when we were talking about the substitution stats is that, of course, rotation is another issue that we're going to have to keep in mind. And that means that players like Marcus Alonso, whilst they have unbelievable stats and the, the, everything points towards him at, at least getting 60 minutes if he does start, just is there the consistency there? So whilst he is an explosive player with the high ceiling, um, as Nick was talking about with fullbacks, the problem is, is that will he play every week and so I think maybe Marcus Alonso is one of those key players that has come up in debates over and over again and for, for me the answer is as per usual it's, it's clear as mud when it comes to FPL that like, if you think a player is, is going to be subbed early 
or you think they're a serious bench risk, then like you just have to expect the one pointer that's going to come your way maybe once every five game weeks. And if if you think that you're willing to accept that for someone like Marcus Alonso, who could get three attacking returns in one game, everything going well, fair enough. So yeah, those wing backs probably the best ones. I think about our selection criteria, those ones are probably the ones we're going to major on. Um, you know, there's ninety minute men. There's like Maguire as well that we're looking at. Man, nice, very very nice fixtures. Um, I mean maybe Sice as well if you want someone in the cheap seats. But yeah, I mean I think my key tip as well. If you've managed your team and it's looking quite good, or you're transferring in quite a good team, I wouldn't think of that defense too much to be honest with you, because I think the midfield and the strikers are places where one there's going to be a lot of from the rest of the rotation, so you may need to move to fit the times, and two it's probably just. I think it's probably just a better, better use of your time and better use of your transfers to be looking at those sorts of uh, higher ceilinged individuals, especially if you've got the likes of TAA covered. Um, a couple of cheapers just to mention as well before we move on. One, uh, Gary Cahill. He had the most shots in the box over the last six and the most touched in the box, 17 defender. And uh, big, a bit of a motivated name as well, uh, Jack Stacey at Bournemouth, a random one. 4.3 million. He had the highest XA over the last six game weeks. Three chances created, so good quality chances, 4.3 million. Just to mention one man's name as well, uh, John Lundstram. So, yeah, he, he's an interesting character and he's definitely appearing in a lot of free hit teams. And we're going to give our free hit punts in just a minute. I mean, he was fifth for XG in the last six for the break. And you know, in terms of free hits, I think a lot of people are either including him because they love him or including him for cover, which would be the case in my view. I did do a little kind of poll on this earlier on. Um, I asked people which of these best describes Lundstram on Twitter. Uh, is he an also including your team, a cover pick, or yesterday's man? And uh, the majority of people, 46%, said he was yesterday's man, in fact, which is quite interesting. Uh, but it does imply that 54% of people are including him in their teams, either as an auto-include or as a cover pick. So quite a divisive character, I think, Lundstram. And how have we come to that critical juncture with him where you've got people who are just hoping for uh, or hoping against the return, would you guys put him in your free hit teams? He's in mine at the moment. He is divisive because we don't know if he's going to start. And I'm, I'm not going to want to pick a player um, for the free hit if I don't have confidence that he's going to be in the starting 11. And what we saw from sort of when Sander Berger um, joined Sheffield United, unfortunately, John Lindstrom wasn't part of that starting 11. So, so that's my concern. And, you know, at 4.9 million, there's some other options in the uh, Sheffield United defence that um, I'll get on to in a second. Like, look, the, like the problem with Lundstrom is that so many people are going to sell him and only get about 4.4 back. And if, if you're happy to spend 4.4 to get um, potentially just one point, fair enough. <laughs> if, if, if you want to spend 4.4 elsewhere, even on a single game week player that will probably get two points anyway, then I think like Jack Stacey, for example, player we just mentioned, just it'd be a bit of a punt for sure. But maybe it will come through better than Lundstrom. It's just when there's so many good Sheffield United defenders there that actually will play and they're not that much more expensive and you actually probably already own them. I just don't know why you're wasting time with them. I know what you mean with, with Lundstrom. Um, so, I mean, I've had Ender Stevens, Baldock, and perhaps Henderson as well. I've been moving towards triple up today in my team. And I did, I did put Lindstrom in there. I was speaking to FPL General about it. And the reason he's there is basically the same reason Kuniguero is there in my team. That's because it's very difficult to live through another Lindstrom all over Twitter. I just don't know that I'd be able to live with myself if I saw that. The same with missing out on the Kuniguero party. I've missed so many of those. Um, obviously, I've said that I'm going to try not to be as negative or as fear-led 
with those two, I do feel like there's an element of that. And I'll just probably spend tomorrow thinking about it. But I do think at the moment I might include Lindstrom. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting debate there on Lindstrom. Obviously, if you did own him at the start of the season, then there's no point selling him because you lose that sort of 0.5 million you've accrued and you could have that one final week at another sort of nostalgia pit like Aguero. But yeah, um, move, moving on to sort of uh, our double game week tips and puns, as Tom alluded to earlier, we're going to give one each on each position to defence, midfield and attack. And Ujin, so he asked us for some punts and FPL Ferry as well asked us which player we are most interested in, even if we don't own, so we'll, we'll give one each uh, position. And um, FPL DC also asked us if we're overlooking the, uh, the single game week punts. Um, so for my defensive punt, it's still on the Sheffield United theme, as I hinted. Um, I've actually gone for, for George Bulldock. Um, it could have easily been um, and to see be honest, he's 4.1 million more expensive. And, and you know, Tom did a very interesting uh, PTP on him at the pre-season highlighting his attacking prowess but um, George Bulldock he's been a 90-minute man um, hasn't missed a single game he's been critical to their success all season and as well as the 10 clean sheets he's picked up two goals and four assists so he, he can offer those attacking and defensive returns they've got this double game week against um, Aston Villa and Newcastle so uh, why not I think he I think he's a great pick at least I prefer him um, certainly over over Lundstrom yeah, no, I like Baldock. He's in my team. And did you know that Aston Villa have conceded more chances on his flank than on Stevens's? So that's why he is in there. Stag, what about you? I think I, of the double game week players, I think Hector Bayerian is just the most interesting. Just as an Arsenal player that actually gets forward, should play at least one of the two games. You'd hope the two games. Um, just uh, He's a more interesting player than, let's say, if you're going for a punt, then it's him. But I think still, if I was going for an Arsenal defender slash clean sheet points, I think Leno is still the option I'd go for. Yep, certainly makes sense. Um, I think if I'm going for a double player, it would be probably be it would probably have been uh, Baldock. Indeed, he is in my team. Uh, but I want to give a quick word to Jack O'Connell. He was fifth for XA over the final six, and he's actually third for entries in the final third uh, so far this season. So you know that kind of uh, what the hell they got the overlapping centre back thing uh, definitely coming into play in terms of the data um, and uh, Doherty. Yeah, I think even though he's only got a single game week, I think that's probably really important um, to have that sort of mixture of single game weekers and double game weekers. And I, I think Doherty does do a, a very good job there. Doherty does a very good job in that. How the fuck I say that, seriously? Which one do you, which one do you prefer? I personally love Doherty. Yeah, you're a great pick. Do- Doherty. <laughs> Do- Doherty. Doherty. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Doherty. 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 All right. Yeah, that one. From, apart from O'Connell, I think Doherty is my man. I think Doherty is my man. Um, I, I can't say it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's like you. It's like it's actually like a thing. You just just can't put the. the I just can't sound. do that. I can't do that sound. Da. Like I'm trying to think where. Da. Like, da. No. Then her. Da her. Daher, no, you don't really have that. You don't really have that sound in in, in English. English. I just, he does immediately sound like you're trying to play on Irish accent. I know, that's the bad thing. Darty, Darty. I'm a man that my man. I love a man like Darty. He's uh, one of my favorite players. Yeah, he's not yeah, from Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's like a But aside from Jack O'Connell, um, I think the man from Wolves, whose name I can't pronounce, Matt Darty, um, is probably the guy that I'd like um, as a as a punt. I know he's not a double game weaker, um, but they've got that fantastic game against West Ham. Um, I think that West Ham 
if you think about motivation, are in that mire. They will have to go for it, especially at home. That probably feeds quite nicely into the hands of Wolves, doesn't it? And uh, with the stats that they were posting and the stats that, that Matt D was was posting in particular um, before the season before the season was postponed, um, I think that he perhaps is my defender pick for this. Yeah, like the the thing with Matt Doherty is you feel like as well that this the sort of spaces that he exposes are those in a defense that isn't well trained, for example, and where you know the gaps appear just to go with the easy commentator parlance. And I do think that that West Ham team of all teams just seem to just lapse at points and the, the gaps appear and there's quite a lot of Wolves players who are very good at threading the eye and Doherty is always making that run at that back post or the front post depending on where the ball is coming he's always there and as your stats have bared out and like, look he's just a, he's just a great pick a single game week double game week regardless he's he's just brilliant yeah, and anecdotes is one of the fittest players at the club as well um so i hopefully would be expecting to see quite a lot of starts for him or a lot of game time for him at least. I know in the Bundesliga we've got a lot of the fullbacks being taken off and are substituted, but hopefully he will have that sort of requisite fitness to um not be as at risk of that as other people. Right, let's take a break there and we'll go into midfielders after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, it's the midfielders and let's just dive straight into it, shall we? The Liverpool midfielders, so many questions on the, on this this week. Thank you very much for all of them. Um, sorry if I don't read your name out as well. I did get an awful lot, but hopefully I have tallied everyone in here. FPL JMO asks if they are worth keeping, uh, both long-term and for the double. FPL Elf echoes that and says he's got values held up in Mane. Abel asks if it's worth Salah and Mane. Um, Storm Legacy and Martin H asks if you know we get rid of Liverpool, when do we get rid of them and can we can we even agree that that's a good strategy? Jeff Wah asks if the kids will get a run out and uh, Tom Campbell asks something very similar as well. And I, I guess in terms of them and also in terms of Kevin De Bruyne, I think there's a really interesting sort of debate here because are these players kind of legacy piggy banks and is their sale, one, advisable and two, the route to kind of having a final nine or a final eight, whatever it may be, focused squad? See, the thing for me is that every time anybody tries to sell these players, they're punished. I don't think you're going to see Liverpool take their foot off the pedal for quite some time. I know, I know there are quotes from Klopp talking about giving the kids a run, but okay, maybe they miss one, max two games in this final run. And it's not like Liverpool have the Champions League to be preparing for anymore. So what they want to do is like secure golden boots, secure huge points tallies and make sure that this, there's no asterisks beside this Premier League victory. And so, like, of course, if you have both of them, that limits your ability. And I'm, I'm not sure if going with both of them is something that's possible, but, you know, which, which one have you the most value tied up in of Salah and Mane? I'd, I'd keep... That one, for example, and, and KDB, as you say, Tom, he is in the same boat. And I, especially given that there's a double game week, I'd, I'd be keeping him for now. Um, but maybe going forward, he, given he's not a primary goal scorer in that team, in the sense that Mane and Salah are, there, there's a justifiable risk there that you could sell him and bring in Aguero, Sterling, even the likes of David Silva, Sané, the, the lower, the lesser players there who don't quite have the reliability or the price tag that De Bruyne has, but still are outstanding. I think start starting on De Bruyne because perhaps it's slightly more contentious. For for me, he he will definitely stay in my team, and I feel like he is he is key. Obviously, the double game week aside, you know, um, De Bruyne he he's that player that Pep plays all the time. He's always in the team. You'll see Aguero rotating with Jesus. Um, you'll see Sterling and Mahrez competing with Sane and Bernardo Silva across the the wings, but. 
KDB, he's the creator in chief in that team. He plays that midfield attacking role and, and it's, it's locked down for him. He's on, he's on all the set pieces. And, um, you know, in terms of actually, he might not necessarily score lots of goals, but his assist record's phenomenal. And it is reflected in FPL as well. He's, he's scored 50 points more than any other Manchester City um, player um, this season. So, for me, he is that key City asset. And I know he's quite expensive, but he's not, you know, the most expensive player in the game. I still think he had, does have some, some value. But um, on, on Liverpool, I think it kind of depends a little bit on, on circumstance, what chips you still have. I think certainly for the double game week, um, Salah and Mane do act as um, fantastic cash cows to, to kind of allow you to afford the likes of Aubameyang and the likes of Aguero, the likes of Raheem Sterling as well. So I think for, for the, you know, the 30 game week, 30 plus, they're playing Everton. It's going to be a bit of a tough game. It's going to be a bit of a strange game as well with all the players coming back to fitness. I think I'm only probably, for my team personally, I'm probably only going to be looking at um, Trent Alexander-Arnold staying for, for Liverpool. But for the rest of the season, I, I certainly can't see myself going without either one or, or Man, of Mane and Salah in my team. And potentially one will come back in on that game week 31 plus wild card that I played. Because, you know, their, their fixture run is really good. They are, you know, there's always talk about him potentially playing some of the youth. But I, I can't necessarily see it happening. I, I still think that, you know, Salah and Mane will be getting plenty of plenty of game time. And they'll be playing, you know, 33 to 35 the past and Villa at home, Brighton away, Burnley at home. You know, they've got some very, very nice fixtures um, coming up, which you can see Liverpool dominating it. And then those guys getting plenty of attacking returns. So, uh, you know, I certainly think they have a lot of uh, value in, in FPL still. And, um, you know, they are two of the best players in the league and it's just the best team in the league as well. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that every year we kind of think, is it time to sell these guys? And as Anthony said, inevitably, the moment comes where a few people do sell. People think, you know what, it's time to get off. Trent this year, remember that? Some idiots sold Mo Salah before Bournemouth the year before that, remember that? Um, and you do get hurt by these teams, especially with Liverpool as well. Like We always have that kind of, is rotation going to kick in now? Is rotation going to kick in now? We always have, a, have this debate every year. And it's amazing the amount of people who jump off before it becomes a problem, if that makes sense. Like I just kind of get the feeling that like you're going to have a Wilson and Fraser situation from last year against Huddersfield where these players are going to come back to bite you, especially in terms of Liverpool. Um, Man City, oh, I don't know. I think Kevin De Bruyne is basically the only one I consider keeping. But there is the case, especially if you have a wild card, that game week 32 when Man City play Liverpool could be a very good excuse to bin the likes of Salah and KDB and if you aren't particularly doing well, if we're not looking to protect your position, but looking to push on, looking to chase, looking to move up the rankings, looking at those players who are more appropriate for the back end of the season, be it you know, those uh, the talisman that we've spoken about, or be it um, moving the money around so you can afford different players elsewhere, perhaps that could be an option for people. I, I don't think... Um, I mean... <laughs> It is very it is it is obviously you know a very kind of downside protection sort of thing to hold on to these players, but I mean, could there be an avenue to gain unique points by being brave enough in inverted commas to sell? Like, are we paralysed by the fear of going without? Is it just Goop's brand FOMO here, Anthony? We could do this every you know every game week of the season. It's it's not just because the the season is restarting and Liverpool are effectively champions that we're talking about this and I. I... 
I feel like you just should keep one of Salah and Mane. And until that problem is a problem, as you say, Tom, I, I don't think you should get rid. And with KDB, double game week anyway, you can't go without him. Longer term, I think, as we've said, there's justification for it. But at the same time, he's the safe option in that City team. I'd, I'd be afraid personally. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm even I'm zagging as hard as I can. And even I won't do that. Uh, fair enough. But I mean, let's have a look at a few players who perhaps are of importance, a few uh, talisman. Um, the first one, Richarlison. Um, so a few decent fixtures for Everton uh, towards the end of the season. He's actually had more headed attempts than any other player all season, interesting enough, with 21. And he's gelling very well with uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, in that kind of uh, front two that Everton are now playing. I no longer have like my big problem with Richarlison, but I'm not going to bring him in because now it's Everton. (laughs) (laughs) Your beef's now with Everton as opposed to Richarlison. Yeah, I've just broadened my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Son, um, so Spurs' talisman. What was really interesting, actually, I was looking into his data and noticed there was another player who was literally next to him the whole time, Anthony Martial at United. I'd characterised both of these guys as pretty much exactly the same player. Really similar stats, so 9.65 XG, 11 goals for Martial, 9.17, 9 goals only for some. 30 and 29 shots on target respectively, both on exactly the same number of points. Both played OOP and both have an element of the unknown going forward. So Son has got Kane back, you know, the whole band is getting back together and Martial, uh, the band is forming behind him for the first time. So Pogba, Bruno, Rashford. Both really interesting, I think, signings potentially, um, especially Son. Um, I think he kind of fulfills 8.8%. I think his ownership was last time I checked. Maybe it's crept a little bit now. Um, but he is the apex of that sort of player who uh, we mentioned it last week has been injured, um, may have been forgotten about by a few people. Certainly this week against Man United, I would be less sure of bringing him in. But he does have West Ham at home um, in game week 31. He's certainly on my radar. Yeah, like they're selection wise, there are issues with both of them, and that with Marshall, you're just not 100% certain that he's actually going to be a starter every week in that United team with the likes of Greenwood and then the, the triumvirate that you mentioned already, and a, a whole host of other attacking midfield options that could take his place. And then with Son, you will remember under Mourinho initially, he had quite a lot of defensive responsibilities on the wing, which curtailed his opportunities um, to get into the box and score, and he was being taking quite a lot of shots from outside the box. Will Mourinho find that he needs to put more emphasis on giving, you know, for, to get the ball towards Son in the box because, well, Kane isn't quite what he was? Will Kane still be not quite what he was? That's another question which maybe feeds into the Son question in and of itself. But look, as talisman, both good players and both explosive players as well that could de- bring you up the ranks and should definitely be considered if you're behind, but definitely not the perfect solution. Yeah, I think both um, very interesting uh, picks, especially for FPL, especially come game week 31. But I do, um, it, is, it kind of remains to be seen how both players react to having sort of their, sort of their compadres, but all being back and from injury. Because as you said, Martial's um, sort of Pogba, Fernandez, and, and Rashford all never played together before. With Spurs, you've got all these players back from injury as well, like Harry Kane. So Harry Kane will be in that number nine position. So technically, sort of both um, teams kind of have their, their historical or sort of real talisman back in terms of Rashford and Kane, and how that impacts Martial and Son's game remains to be seen as to whether they'll 
actually see more chances. Probably not for Son from Harry Kane because we all know that he, he's he's pretty selfish. I think there was one season, wasn't there? They got like thirty goals and two assists or something stupid. So like it's it's all about the goals for Harry Kane. And uh, with Manchester United, you know, you, you feel like the attacks are, are going to be flowing through. Rashford and, and Martial and perhaps might be playing more of a sort of a Firmino type role in sort of you know, false nine whilst you know, the, the wingers are, are potentially getting getting forward. So yeah, that, that implies that Martial uses energy to do anything. That's that's no, that's, ne- that's, yeah. never, that's never going to happen, Nick. I think there definitely are lots of options at United, that's for sure. Um, you didn't mention Bruno there, and I think he probably is the big catalyst um, going forward. I think he'll be owned by a lot of people. I think he's in a lot of teams as it is. Um, obviously, he's only played a few games, but the, the beginning data looks very, very good. So shots, shots, shots. 14 outside the box, more than any other player. Third shots target over the last five. It really sets the tone as well. Like, there's lots of very good stories about him, like having a go at players on the training ground and that sort of thing, and being really a vocal leader, which I don't think you guys have had for a little while. Um, he's also got a couple of other good things about him. So he's second for BPS amongst mids, um, for example. If he does anything, he's in the shot of bonus. He got six bonus points and five appearances. I mean, two times three. But compare that to Martial, who only got seven bonus overall, uh, who's been available all season, and you kind of see that sort of player and. Really crucially, in a friendly recently, he took two penalties with Rashford on the pitch. So you might be thinking that Bruno at 8.6 could be a man. Um, he's definitely my team and I suspect he'll be staying there. We really like that catalytic sort of thing about him. It'll be interesting to see how he plays with Pogba and plays with Martial and plays with Rashford and how all, all they all fit together. Um, but as mentioned on FIFA, they're incredible. So if they can do that in, in the Premier League, great. Yeah, and I, I guess, look, Fernandes is going to be in quite a lot of teams. And maybe if we just think about our more low ownership puns for just a second, uh, the offerer uh, wrote in saying that he's looking at Sar and he's certainly a good pick. I, I'd also, just to throw names at the wall, thought about Harvey Barnes, even Christian Pulisic, but what's going on with his selection? John McGinn, of course, back from injury. And um, one player, it's just a pity his fixtures are so bad, but I guess it's one of those wait and sees that we can really, truly wait and see against bad, uh, against very good teams is Mikel Antonio and West Ham. He's always um, a pretty interesting player to have in FPL. He gets forward, gets shots. He causes hassle for any defence, no matter what, even if West Ham are playing poorly. So keeping an eye on him. Oh, and there's also a few others, like, you know, uh, the offerer mentioned Saar as a player to have a look at. So 22 points in the last three game weeks pre-lockdown. Admittedly, that was an explosion in the Liverpool game. So in very, uh, uh, very surprising circumstances, perhaps. And in terms of double game week, Jack Grealish. So obviously the Villa talisman, but his wheels really had come off in the last six games before we went on break. Uh, he just scored 13 points in that six. Villa in general were not in a good way. But nonetheless, Grealish has scored 20.8% of their individual points, double that of next highest, who's El Ghazi. And he's third for XA in below 8 million this season. Not looking too bad in terms of XG as well. He looks like the guy, basically, who's going to make something happen for Villa. It may be worth thinking about. And I suspect Nick, looking at the transfers and looking at everything, he's going to be basically everyone's team, isn't he? So maybe he's a downside sort of cover pick too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he's certainly not sort of a punt. Um, he's... he's uh player that's very very popular I think in, in terms of another another sort of cheaper asset that's out there that probably you know perhaps he's a, a pick of yesteryear but I still quite like him as an option it is Mason Mount um, only 6.2 million um, he's he's performed very very well in terms of the underlying stats all over the course of the season he's um, he's actually fifth for all midfielders and um, with goal attempts over 68 and he's actually played more minutes as well um, than any other Chelsea midfielder this season so he's been pretty key um, 
for Lampard's plans. And Chelsea have some really, really nice fixtures um, up until the end of the season, starting with sort of Aston Villa away, which you expect them to perform very well. And then after it's Manchester City, but then they've got a really nice run of West Ham, Watford, Crystal Palace, Sheffield United, Norwich. So, you know, um, could could be some returns in there for the uh, the young Chelsea man. I get I get Mount right, but I just find him so boring as a pick like it's like basically going to mcdonald's and ordering a hamburger like it's the most boring thing you could in, you could include in a free hit squad that is like even abraham's a cheeseburger and basically if i did get a Chelsea player i played with abraham this week played with alonso this week don't trust if he's going to be in the team but abraham maybe more trust than alonso and um, but if i was going to go for a Chelsea player and I was really taking a punt. I'd go for the 20 Nuggets with on source, Pulisic, and 0.5 XG per game. No Cho due to a sense of an injury. So maybe you'd be assuming that Pulisic will keep out one of the OAPs and start. Hasn't been seen for a while, obviously, due to that injury. Um, but no, perhaps we could see Mount play on the wing. I think that is how they lined up in a friendly. Either way, I don't know. Just Mount, I, I've looked at him a few times. People have said said him to me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but he just feels so boring for a free hit pick. He really does. Like the hamburger, vanilla milkshake of free hit picks. Just, just no. Just not for I, me. I have a serious objection. I think, given the amount of knocks that Tommy Abraham takes, he's surely the veggie burger in this. <laughs> oh, maybe the filet fish because he's so flaky. <laughs> I don't know why you're so anti Mason now. It's already Willian is he's the boring old hamburger. No, no, isn't he? he's, he's, he's a soggy chip, isn't he? Mason, Mason Mount, the, he's the new one on the menu, isn't he? He's a new player to the Premier League, doing very well in his uh, in his maiden season. I don't know. Maybe it's just FPL has warped my mindset so much, but because he was in everyone's team at one point, going back to a player like that just feels so bloody boring. But uh, one person I do want to talk about just before we move on um, to the double game week punts, and this also ties into my double game week punts. So, hey, two birds, one stone, plus a segue. Brilliant. Um, it's Raheem Sterling. So, highly owned by dead teams. Perhaps hamburger, but also hamburger dipped in Szechuan sauce with some chips on top because he's my free hit buy and he's also going to be my captain, I think, for the double game week going forward. Um, there's three key things with Sterling I just want to kind of mention. One is that he's trusted by Pep from the time he texted him when he was on England duty all the way to throughout the season. He's basically been playing the whole time. He's fit enough to start lots of games in succession as we've seen over Christmas, as we've seen in time in Memoriam. He's normally very quick out of the blocks. So this season, first six game weeks, he had the highest XG, most shots in the box, second for XA, and a huge number of big chances if he's being fed. And there's a nice thread actually by FPL also selects, which showed that Sane, especially if Sane plays, I'm, I, it's fantastic for Sterling. Hopefully that happens. Um, but he also has the second highest XG overall behind Salah this season. And the third thing that really recommends Sterling uh, in terms of both the free hit and maybe going forward as well is that he's a luxury differential. By that I mean that He's very expensive, which means that loads of team structure will not be able to fit him in. Given how expensive he is, a lot of people will not be able to fit him in to accommodate him, given how teams mostly look. So you you have kind of a really aggressive pick, but it's not going to be as highly owned, be it in the free hit or be it in the bench boost or be it in the teams going forward. And I really like that. I really like the fact that a lot of his ownership is going to be dead. So it's going to be a very, very tiny portion of engaged managers, just given the teams I've seen, who are going to have Raz in their team. 
for me, he'll be my captain. He looks like just too good an opportunity to turn down in terms of a differential captain. And I think that he, even though Mares is outscoring him, um, I do think that he is ripe for a return. And I think that he may benefit as well from there being no crowd. Um, I think he may be one of those players who is in need of a bit of a reset, in need of that sort of time to bring himself back to what he's good at. Um, and I'm hoping that he'll be scoring those tap-ins for fun uh, once we resume. But yeah, I'll definitely be captain him on double game week. Well, almost definitely. So, so I've actually gone in terms of a double game week punt. I've, I've picked the same team as you, Tom, but I've actually gone for Riyad Mahrez as my um, double game week punt. Um, so, yeah, eight point five million. You know, he, he does represent fantastic value. Obviously, he is a rotation risk, as we all know. But with a double game week, you know that um, Mahrez is probably going to get some game time. And, and when he has played this season, he's, he's been fantastic. He's uh, notched up uh, seven goals and 10 assists from 1,382 minutes. So that's been a return um, every 81.2 minutes. In terms of sort of the, the midfielders that have uh, played more than 20 games this season, he's had the second highest shot accuracy with uh, 44.2%. Only Anthony Martial's had better uh, shot accuracy than him. And he's... Um, in terms of minutes per chance as well, he's, he's second only to uh, Mo Salah with a chance every 26.6 minutes. Um, so that's um, excluding Ross Barkley, who's played 13 games. That's some midfielders who played more than 20 games. But still, um, that's some very impressive stats from from Mares. And I think um, he also rep- represents um, a very nice differential. He's um, got very low ownership as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he could easily um, deliver for Manchester City in that double as well. Um, so I think perhaps I'm probably not going to have the space for Sterling in my team, um, having wanting to get Aguero and De Bruyne and um, Aubameyang. So Mares sort of fits the bill as another sort of City attack coverage. Yeah, it proves my point, doesn't it? But Sterling's a great luxury differential because you can't fit him in. Um, but yeah, Mares would be my number four City pick, if that makes sense, uh, with Laporte being the fifth guy behind Stag. My double game week punt was uh, Mason Mount. Nick has already outlined all the stats. <laughs> so um, where we're not sponsored by McDonald's, he's I think the double cheeseburger of this. And that you know, what? there's the safety of the choice that you know you know what you're getting, reliable, oh. always there, but still has a bit of taste. And there's a chance that you're gonna have you know really really enjoy it. You know, there's just enough variety there. I'm pretty happy with it. You know that that Chelsea team, you could be getting all of your Szechuan sauce that you want with your all sorts of wingers that may play or may not play, or you can just have Mason Mount, who just always seems to be there no matter what, and it's just perfectly good. And it's against Villa. Villa. Yeah. All right. I mean, if I get drunk later on and then put him in, then that's the perfect time to have a double cheeseburger. Well, go to McDonald's in general. I haven't been to McDonald's sober for... I can't remember the last time I was McDonald's sober. So maybe I need to get drunk on Tuesday night, put him in, and then I've, I can at least square it to myself that it was a drunken Mackey D's. Um, Right. Anyway, enough about that. I swear we're not sponsored by McDonald's. Other burger chains are available. Um, let's move on to Strikers. Um, and Strikers is particularly interesting because it's a talisman zone heavy area this year i suppose the likes of vardy tammy jimmy uh, pookie ings Aubameyang, um, all of these players all of these top of mind individuals dominate the talisman charts um let's start off with a double game weaker um not aguero uh, but Aubameyang, um because we've got a lot of questions on him this week actually and so sashank patol um says he's considering uh, considering arsenal may sell one of both one or both of Aubameyang and lacquer is there a possibility arteta will play them both extensively to you know, drive up their price something like that and um, so may couldn't be a better choice than alba in game week 30 and uh, Samantha Natkar asked if anyone's of interest to arsenal other than Aubameyang citing lacazette or in katia 
I am not interested in anyone other than Bamiang for Arsenal. Um, we'll see what you guys think in a second. Um, there's lots of stat stuff out there that I've seen this week and why you shouldn't include him. But it really does have a whiff of overthinking confirmation bias without knowing the results to me on Aubameyang. Um, it feels a bit overthinky. And I think there's a couple of kind of key positives with him. One is that FPL is about choosing the best player in the situation that you're presented with. Aubameyang knows where the goal is. He's got that proven goal scorer, talismanship, pedigree. He's got two games, not just one. And if a double, if it was a single game weaker, then you know definitely I'd go with you know Jimmy or something like that over him. But with two games, with the pedigree and with the ability to score um, in a stats-defying way, to look at the stats and be like, oh, Aubameyang's a, a bit rubbish because because his stats are X, Y, and Z. It's to misunderstand Aubameyang, I think. Um, two games means a logical addition to me. And the other reason is downside protection. So, yeah, you may not dislike, you may not like cover at all. Um, and I'd say that 70-30, I think, don't overthink it, choose the best players is my kind of key reason for buying him but it's nonetheless true that the high ownership for him especially in the engage base means that any contribution will hurt you unless your picks really work out so i think those two reasons or bamiang is uh, just a bit of a no-brainer include um if you really need the money um then perhaps put it elsewhere but on this double game week or in the unlimited bench boost or in the, in the free hit i doubt you're going to need the money that severely to legitimate removing or bamiang so yeah just just think just just put him in and forget about it to be honest um and if you do own them all together, the next two fixtures are Southampton and Norwich. So, yes, they're notoriously unreliable, but if we boil it down to fixtures as an indicator of performance, you couldn't ask for more. Yeah, I'd agree with everything you said there on, on Aubameyang. Actually, I would probably put him out there as, as my current captain pick. I just I love the fact that, you know, with, with Manchester City, there's just so much threat of rotation and who Pep's going to play and who he's going to pick. In terms of Arsenal... Aubameyang is, is just so critical and, and key to their successes that he's he's, he's a club captain. He's, he's definitely going to be playing. He's going to be playing uh, pretty much every minute as well. And, you know, since he's joined Arsenal as well, I don't think any other Premier League player scored more goals than him. So he is a proven goal scorer. He's got a proven track record in the Premier League and he's a, he's a top class player. And yeah, um, great round of fixtures as well. After the game week 30 plus, so for me, for me Bamiang is a very key to the success. I think um, we got asked a question actually about um, Lacazette, didn't we? And FPL Crate Digger asked us if there's a case for Lacazette and, and Jesus over Aubameyang and Aguero. Um, highlighting that well, they actually did better in the reverse fixtures um, this season. But I, I'm not really too keen on this idea, to be honest. Personally, I think picking Jesus and, and Lacazette it feels it feels quite Rikerish to me in terms of picking that second uh, top forward as opposed to the first one. And you know, they are actually both expensive assets in their own right, individually. It's costing a cool got 9.4 million and 9.6 million, and if you if you wanted to spend the extra two million on Aguero and Aubameyang, you'd be getting players that have scored um, thirty three goals combined compared to Lacazette and Jesus, who have only scored a combined sixteen goals. So I feel I, I I'm not too keen on it to be honest. I feel like it's um, a case of chasing a differential that could easily very very easily uh, blow up in your face. And um, you know, especially with most teams captaining one of those double ways and to perhaps extend the uh, the battery analogy it feels like when you buy a cheap alternative to Duracell batteries and then they only last a short time instantly causing you that regret like I find that question very interesting which was talking about uh, Jesus and Lacazette so it's like 
like that's getting a salad at that point to go back to our um, our fast food references again. It's like you're, there's going to be so much sauce on the salad that you're getting as much calories anyway in terms of the value that you have to put out. So you just get the good striker. Like why are you wasting time and overthinking getting these Riker picks as we put it? So no, I like okay, sure, they did better in the reverse fixture. And yes, they will have, every dog has their day. But personally, I think when you're free hitting, especially you need to pick the best players. As Tom says, like FBL is about picking the best players for the situation that is in front of you and I think Abamyang is consistently one of the best strikers in the league there's there's serious inconsistency to his consistency I will agree that you know sometimes it's very hard to predict him but when there's a double as again Tom said I think you just have to put him in there when it comes to Kun and Jesus look Sergio Aguero is absolutely brilliant but I feel that for so many people the choice is going to go down to Aubameyang or Kun Aguero. And the thing is that Aguero is just so much more expensive than Aubameyang. And for me, I, I think that's a pretty important thing for people to keep in mind is that that's, that 0.7 could do an awful lot, let's say, for your defenders or for your fourth or fifth midfield option. So with that in mind, I can, I can really see why people would just go for Aubameyang and spend elsewhere. And Jesus, like, no, like, what, you have nothing to say that he's going to get the game time that you require him to have to merit the value. Not for me. I think it'll be interesting to see how they set up. Um, definitely uh, Pep premiered uh, having uh, Kunaguero up front and Jesus from on the wings alongside Sterling at one point. Um, but no, I, I think with Aguero, he's one of those players that I've got in and mentioned it with Lundstrom earlier, just because the amount of times I've not been invited to a Conegrero hat-trick party is just, it's just too much for me. I just can't deal with it. He's going to be in my free hit team. He's not going to be in my actual team. He's going to be in my free hit team. I'm not going to captain him, but I'm going to cover him just cause end of the day that, bare face I'm just covering with him I'm not particularly excited by it but there's no better option go back to what I was saying about Aubameyang him and Aguero are both in because they're probably the best players in the situation I find myself in Nick Aguero Jesus any of these players in your uh, in your BB team so yeah Jesus is not in, in my team I do have Aguero at this moment in time um, part of that triple up Manchester City attacking axis as I said of Mares and uh, De Bruyne and yeah you made some you know um, personal points in regards to Aguero who he, he's going to be so highly owned you, you don't want to be missing that party especially when you know that half of FPL will be captaining this guy as well so you know him and him and Aubameyang the double A's are Certainly going to be leading my attacking line um, for game week 30 plus in the double game week. Aside from sort of, you know, the, the premium strikers and, and the teams in the double game week, there's, there's a few other talismanic strikers as well out there, isn't there? You know, we've got the likes of Puki, um, Jimenez, Ings, uh, Jamie Vardy, perhaps Tammy Abraham um, as well. So there's a, quite a number of options out there. And um, for me, actually, um, Raul Jimenez is the one that's going to be staying in my team and being the third striker on my bench boost. So, you know, I was quite surprised personally to see that he was being sold so heavily as part of the uh, the market forces because I think he, he still is an absolutely fantastic asset in FPL. Um, uh, Wolves um, also have some great fixtures, so it seems a bit alarming that people are selling him. West Ham away, we, we've talked about previously sort of dire West Ham are defensively and then after that ball at home Aston Villa away you know that's primed for for Jimenez and um, he has um, absolutely fantastic uh, underlying stats as well so his goal attempts top out of all the forwards with 99 Um, he's also um, a creator in chief as well 42 chances created 
and uh, six assists. So it's not just the goals that he's um, he's producing, but he's also uh, assisting his uh, his teammates. So um, I think um, Jimenez, at least out of the you know the third striker choices, is, is the best choices. You know, there's a few others out there as well. Neil Mopé perhaps as another little differential pick. No, fancying a little bit of a gamble. Uh, Arsenal oh. defence notoriously bad. No. No. Uh, one thing to um, keep in mind about Jimenez, and it depends on which um, baby philosophy you subscribe to, Raúl Jiménez, his girlfriend is eight months pregnant um, and it looks like that's coming any time now. And given how congested the fixtures are, it, it's very likely he might miss one game for that, depending just on how things fall. Um, but then he might celebrate it by scoring a goal too. So that's what I'm on about with these your FPL beliefs when it comes to uh, babies being born to players. Um, another talisman striker that we mentioned there in the introduction is Timu Puki. Now, of course, look, Norwich have an awful lot to play for, and they're not—they're not relegated just yet. But the problem with Puki is—is is it's two—it's go- two goals in the last eleven games before the the lockdown, and it, it wasn't looking good with Puki, and it wasn't looking good for Norwich in general. And so, when you have goal uh, cousin Todd in midfield there at a, at a cheap enough price, and who like from an FPL perspective from a value perspective let's say is just as good a pick not for me but one player who is definitely being overlooked I think is uh, the top scorer oddly in the league uh, Jamie Vardy he's obviously had his chance to rest and I think this is an issue that Leicester were um, encountering before the lockdown it's something we were discussing was the fact that uh, they just didn't seem to have the legs anymore and uh, Vardy wasn't getting the opportunities as a part of that that the midfield weren't creating as many opportunities for him as they had earlier in the season now they did then go and beat Villa 4-0 in the final game before the lockdown um, kind of putting pay to all that but I think that with Rodgers um, having them all geared up having been watching Netflix's best over the course of the lockdown and I think Vardy still chasing that golden boot remember that's something he's never actually won uh, I do think that he's someone who's being overlooked to maybe a dangerous extent, especially given like it's, it's Watford and then it's Brighton as well the game after. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a ghost to Christmas past Vardy, I think. So a lot of people in the engaged community, I'm assuming, have sold, including myself. And I think we've all sold, have we? Um, uh, like I think going towards the back end of the season, being re-energised, and as we've said, having that individual motivation is going to be really, really important with him. And don't forget, he did have that humongous goal drought, didn't he? Absolutely craze um, between game weeks 19 and 28 and indeed he came off the bench to score uh, that brace against Villa he didn't start that game uh, remember there was a last minute um, sort of controversy about him not playing I think no no there was a controversy about him not playing versus Norwich because he picked up a knock right and then he came off the bench against Villa to score god it feels like ancient history doesn't it um, but like towards the end of the season they do have a few tough fixtures they've got Everton away Arsenal away Spurs away and Man United away but there's this kind of great kind of double edge with Vardy where in the past he was slated as being that guy who performs very, very well in the tough games. Um, so you've got that. On the other hand, you've got this year he became flat track bully supreme, could not stop scoring, you know, against the likes of Bryce and against the likes of Crystal Palace, against the likes of Southampton. Guess what? Those sorts of games are always, Anthony's kind of mentioned a minute ago, all to come for Leicester too. So he's one that I'm definitely afraid of for sure. Um, I do have a uh, Nick's pick, Jimenez, and I think he'll just be sat there. And I've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, actually, as well, who was on absolute fire towards the end of uh, the break. Uh, sorry, towards the end of the time before we had a break. Um, who, yeah, he, he was under under Ancelotti, just doing incredibly well. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to fit Vardy in, basically. I really wish that I could fit Vardy in, but I just don't think I'm going to be able to. I mean, Nick, do you have any plans to fit Ratface in, or 
are you just going to have to hide behind the sofa every time he's on? Um, um, yeah, I don't really have any plans to fit him in. I mean, if he goes and bags a hat trick against Watford, I luckily have the liberty to kind of potentially look at bringing him in on my wild card in 31. But um, no plans, at least for the game week 30 plus. He, he's just that little bit too expensive, isn't he, at 9.7 million. I think if I was to to bring in a Leicester attacker or a Leicester midfielder, it'd probably be Mr. Harvey Barnes, who uh, netted that lovely hat-trick just before the uh, the break that uh, Stag is uh, wincing because he's, he's reliving yet again um, when we were recording the pod last time. Yeah, muscle memory there about Harvey Barnes. <laughs> I went for uh, Perez. That's the issue there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always the issue with Leicester, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly. I mean, but I mean, uh, there are a couple of players just to kind of reel back round to to a few of the strikers that we have kind of glossed over. That I think it's just worth mentioning a little bit more. So I gave lip service to DCL Dominic Calvert Lewin. Like he was the form guy before we went on break, as I mentioned. Sixty percent sixty six percent of his goals um have come under Ancelotti. So he's been really playing well under the under the new Meester. Um he's gone from basically goal shy to goal Larry uh, the last in the last five games at eight hundred percent of his shots. So he had seventeen of them were in the box. He was top for both measures. Second highest XG, the most big chances. Loads of chances being created by Richarlison. So very, very nice kind of double um with with him for the Toffees and six point five million, just a ridiculous price, Calvert Lewin. Also six point five is Pookie, as Stags mentioned. So Pookie at the moment is in my free hit team. I'm not sure I would own him going forward. Um but he does have um a range of good fixtures. They're coming up. Um, the two home games in a row, actually, three of the next four. Um, Southampton, Everton, uh, Arsenal away, nothing to worry about. Uh, Brighton, Watford, and West Ham before the final three games that were more difficult. Um, I mean, Pookie, last six have not been very good. As Anthony mentioned, there's two in 11, I think it was. Not a good record. But at the start of the season, don't forget, um, he scored more points than Canegrero in the opening six games, 49 points. Um, and he was also fair for XG in that time frame. And he is the Talisman King. So 33.6% of Norwich's attacking points are scored by that guy. Obviously, Norwich have less attacking points than the likes of Man City, Liverpool, etc., etc. Um, but against Southampton, I, I quite fancy that. Um, I think that maybe the break will have done Norwich a bit of good. Um, you never know. And I think that he, at 6.5 million, is probably a nice inclusion. I do wish I could have Tammy Abraham, though. I just am a bit worried about Jerusalem and how they lined up Chelsea in the start. So Pookie is probably the inclusion in my free hit. Yeah, maybe a quick point on Pookie before we move on to maybe more important players is that Daniel Farke is a manager that seems to be very good at setting up a team to win a certain game or, you know, to develop a new game plan. Let's say how they beat Man City earlier in the season. And I think that this game for Norwich coming in against Southampton is crucial for them. They're right right now. They're six points adrift. If you can cut that down to three points adrift, or to you know to three points adrift of safety, all of a sudden Norwich are no longer looking like relegation fodder, and they could very quickly climb up the table. Um, so th- this is so important for them. And so from a free hit perspective, actually quite a good player. Yep, yeah, uh, certainly. I think one last forward who we haven't mentioned as well, who's who's back and definitely needs to be considered. Um, well, I think we mentioned him briefly actually in, in market forces is uh, Marcus Rashford. And before he got injured in uh, sort of game week twenty two, he was having his sort of breakout season, um, having netted fourteen goals, picked up five assists, um, and uh, yeah, uh, with with the gang back together, or you know the, the gang never having played together before but finally being complete uh, Rashford surely he needs to be um, considered quite heavily for our team's 8, 8.8 million he's, he's not um, 
extremely expensive, is he? And, um, you know, after that Spurs game, uh, you know, United have just this incredible run of fixtures. Sheffield United, Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, Southampton, Crystal Palace, West Ham. Leicester, you know, up until the end of the season. So I think certainly for me, he's probably going to be one of the first names on on my team sheet um, come game week 31 when I do pull that wild card. But um, surely you guys must be um, considering Rashford as well. Yeah, as somebody who's going to be locked in with this team for quite a while, not free hitting, um, and without a wild card, he's currently sitting in my draft team. And uh, I guess from if we were to go back to our motivation discussion previously, like Manchester United have the top four slash top five with Man City's appeal to play for, and they have the fixtures to boot, and they have this triumvirate there who were already creating quite a lot of chances. Um, and now I, I think. It really, this is Rashford's time to shine and it's all really well teed up for him. And just given how explosive he's already been earlier in the season, I think he's a very important pick for people. Yep, certainly. Um, returning from injury, differential potential. Um, he is, of course, reverse out of position Rashford, often stationed on the left. That's not really hurt him too much. I mean, admittedly, he has had a few penalties that have gone into his 14 goals. Um, but, I mean... When he was injured in game week 23, he was top amongst fours with shots on target. He's also a very good bonus hog, is what we know about Rashford. So he got 26 bonus points in 23 games. So a very nice ratio there. If he does anything, you know, you're looking at just getting into that bonus, which can help you if you're captaining him or something or so on and so on. I just wonder whether he's going to have the you know, the re- requisite match fitness because he's been returning to play, um, which quite, well, I'm quite glad that I'm on free hits. So I've got at least a week to assess and see how he's looking, see if he's back up to speed. I suspect he's going to get a lot of 60s and 70s, but he did have a back injury, didn't he? So that's um, probably one that you want to keep an eye on. Cool. Uh, Bristol stops tour of forwards done. Uh, let's talk about quickly our double game week uh, tips before we move into what we're doing uh, for the next week. So uh, who wants to go first? Anthony? Yeah, uh, for me, I think um, if you were a free hit team looking at maybe a single game week player, I think it actually Team Upuki would be the one to pick or potentially uh, Callum Wilson would be uh, another interesting pick for, I think, Whoa. a team that are, I think, one win away from kind of kick-starting and moving away from this mire that they're in at the bottom of the table. That, you know, one win brings them up to 15th. That, that's huge. And from there they can really kind of carry through and Bournemouth's fixtures are quite tough as well so this is a, a fixture that they really do need to win if they are to pull away forgotten man Nick I didn't go for a double game week player either I decided to pick a, a single game week player and I decided again to go against the, the market forces and, and pick the uh, the most transferred out player right now which is is Danny Ings um, because they've got a really really nice fixture against Norwich you know Norwich um, sort of have the second worst um, Goals records, goals conceded record in the Premier League so far this season with 52. And uh, and Danny Ings, in terms of his underlying stats, he, he's had probably his best season so far in the uh, in the Premier League. And I think it was a run of ridiculous. I think he went, went on almost like a Jamie Vardy esque run of uh, scoring every every game. And um, you know, with uh, 15 goals to his name, he's become Southampton's talisman. And uh, I think he's a, another quite nice differential pick for this week. Yeah, one of those players who could bite the sellers, punish the sellers indeed. All right, well, you guys have both picked both sides of the single game week coin, that Friday night game, uh, Norwich-Southampton. I'm going to go for double game week, uh, why not? So I've seen some Samata love out there, but I just want to ask, what's the matter with McBurney? Oh, yeah, 
lols. Um, so Villa conceded a lot of chance from set pieces, and uh, Viali Consalves says that he's seen many teams with Fleck in their team, but might be best to have him at Bernie instead. So anyone who saw me tweet earlier on this morning before I overforced it during the course of the day would have seen that I had a weekend at Bernie's uh, penciled in. And this is at the behest of my friend uh, Matt Bernardo's Maldonado, who's been singing his praises. Over the last seven games, he started every single game at Bernie. There was an athletic article on Billy Sharp written by Richard Sutcliffe, and he suggested that the Blades attack is basically at Bernie plus one. He's a record signing. There's two games, um, and his data's not that bad. So the last six games, he's had 15 attempts, all of them in the box, uh, six on target, and he has an attempt every 34 minutes. Um, he's also doing pretty well in terms of headed goal attempts. So I've mentioned uh, Villa, because he had a lot of their chances from set pieces, and at Newcastle as well, because he had a lot of headed goal attempts. This guy's 0.3% owned with no widely owned alternative. So a very, very juicy little pick for a double game week. Uh, and uh, one very interesting fact is that uh, over the last six games before we went on break, his XG was 3.22, but he scored nothing. So is he underperforming? Is he just rubbish? We don't know. At 5.7 million, though, why not include the Scotsman at Bernie, even though he doesn't like Scotland very much, does he? Um, for me, unfortunately, I may have to cover Lundstrand, which kind of kills him off, but... If you're looking for a pump, why not Olympe Bernie 5.7? And Nick, you do bear a passing resemblance to him at the moment with that beard. Right, let's move on to what we're going to do when the madness reopens, how are we approaching our chips, what, what are our final squads looking at, final as, as much as they can be at this time. The thing is, is that as I've explained in previous pods, I'm trying to zag. So I, I don't have a wild card to use later. I don't want to use my free hit now because everyone's going to use it now. And there may be a chance that I can uh, get ahead later. I'm actually primarily thinking the, the week where Liverpool clash with Man City may be the week for me to use my free hit and just have a team full of players that aren't playing in that fixture and uh, hope for the best. But anyway, look, goalkeeper, I have uh, good old Jay Leno, Burnt Leno in there um, at the end alongside a Pope who had been in good form and I don't think that uh, Burnley defensively will lapse whereas I think maybe attack wise they will uh, in defence there's kind of there's a triumvirate that I feel have to stay one is obviously Alexander-Arnold the other is um, Tom's uh, friend uh, Matt Doherty and then I still have Calgar Sionsu in my defence but I'm starting to wonder whether he should um, head out um, there will right, be well, a didn't Sheffield. you tell everyone to sell him absolutely months ago I remember when I was in Australia I was listening to you uh, yeah you, yeah I did like, it's I time did. to sell Sionsu and here we are it was, it was hundred ti- days later he's still yeah. there <laughs> literally 120 days later I didn't manage to sell him yeah he's still in my team currently um he was on my bench and I think he got a few clean sheets and it was pain um anyhow he is still in my squad right now but I think a Sheffield United defender will be coming in there it won't be Lundstrom he is in my squad but will be sold uh, in midfield it's that's kind of where I'm pretty sure of what I'm doing I've got Mo Salah as the kind of the anchor kind of player that won't be moving for the next few weeks alongside Bruno Fernandes uh Jack Grealish has to come in for the double game week uh, cousin Todd Cantwell will be there and Ismail Assar is a bit of a punt who's a bit explosive and has you know early decent fixtures up front Aubameyang is in I'd love to have Aguero as well but it just can't happen so Aubameyang is in there and then there will be two uh, token gestures of mid-priced forwards I'm not sure who maybe Pookie but then I'd have him for extra weeks so I'm not sure but long term I'd like to get Rashford in there so yeah as, as you know I'm I'm planning my bench boost uh, it's uh, it's not quite a, a finished product yet, but it's it's, it's mainly going to be focused on those sort of uh, double game week players. So in goal, as I mentioned, I've got sort of Jay Leno and uh, 
Dean Henderson um, as my two choices. And in the defence, that's perhaps where the, the most holes still remain in the team in terms of finishing and, and finalising those those final men's. But at the moment, I've got um, sort of, uh, George Bulldog in there and uh, another Sheffield United defender, probably going to be tripled up in Sheffield United defence for the double game week. So we'll see how that goes. should be pretty interesting. And Trent Alexander-Arnold um, is in the team as well, as I mentioned. He's probably going to be... Um, well, it's probably going to be someone like Slinchu who I've already got in the team, perhaps just sticking around just to, to fill a slot. I have had looked at um, Target as well, but I don't really want Target. I think they're terrible uh, defensively, Aston Villa. So it's probably going to be someone around that price bracket, um, you know, even like perhaps a sort of Charlie Taylor type figure could um, even even play a role, but we'll, we'll have to see there. It's not finalised at all. Um, the midfield, um, as I mentioned, I've got Myers and De Bruyne, sort of the, the premium assets um, in there, alongside um, Jack Grealish. Um, I've also actually been looking at who is someone I mentioned on the pod so far is, is John McGinn, who is another player who had sort of a really good start to the uh, the season uh, for Aston Villa, and then he's, he's obviously been injured for the. Um, second half of the season, but um, he's back now and he was pretty critical. Um, uh, key part of that Aston Villa attack early doors, so he's someone that I'm um, considering for that uh, double game week because you know, I can get rid of these players straight away, so I don't have that um, worry that you guys do in terms of bringing in players from Aston Villa. Um, and then up front, I've gone for Aubameyang and Aguero and Jimenez as my sort of uh, pre-pronged attack. Hmm. All right, sounds very good. And you're wild carding straight away. Yeah, you've got your 20 hour yes, wild card, haven't you? Wow. That's yes. gonna be, that's <laughs> Which I've no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it all depends on what happens in the football. Because you're, you're witnessing a meltdown in the WhatsApp groups, aren't we? Right, uh, my team, I'm free hitting, showing my distinct lack of creativity. But you know, that's just me kicking the can down the road. Um, I've got eight out of 11 uh, double game weekers in my team. Uh, the team's looking like a 4 3 3. So in goal is Denders uh, Henderson. Um, I've owned him for a while so i'm not actually paying as much as leno no, which is quite interesting um in, uh, i've got the rainer on the bench or maybe some scrub on the bench i'm not sure yet um in mid in defense i've got lindstrom basically to cover the downside and join in the celebrations of the upsides happen that he could still become your man at ender uh, speaking of your man i've got matt doherty in there as well um george baldock and uh, taa um baldock and doherty i think are two players that i just can't remove i just think that they're both really strong single game week players i don't have uh the wolves fella in my actual team uh so maybe i'll own him but given how this pod has gone so i'm just trying to count his name and not get a scowl from anthony i'm probably not going to own him in fpl ever again um in midfield i've got raheem sterling who's got the armband uh, kevin de bruyne and jack Grealish. and um, let's hope that that's not a car crash especially where Grealish is concerned and up front i've got Aubameyang, i've got Kuniguero, and i've got timu puki um the finnish talisman king on the bench, as I mentioned, Rayner slash someone else. Target, I think, my first sub. He's a bit rubbish, but, you know, eh, could get a random something rather. Uh, David Louise, uh, no, Douglas Louise. And uh, Tom Tribble was the third sub, just to be the mascot kind of pick. But, yeah, I'm quite confident in that team. I've, I've tinkered around with it a little bit today. Um, but when I hit on that one, I thought, yeah, actually, I quite like that. Cool. Right. I think that's uh, probably a lot. Um, apologies for the whistle stop tour, but um, hopefully that was useful.
good to kind of bounce ideas off you all and to hear about which player is which McDonald's meal. But of course, we were who got the assist. If you like what you heard, uh, just a reminder that the voting for the Football Content Awards uh, is still open. So we would really appreciate it. if you could vote. You can head over to footballcontentawards.com forward slash 2020 hyphen voting. Or on Twitter, there's a um, selection of words that you can tweet, which um, you will find elsewhere online. If I say it here, it's too unwieldy for you all. Yep, and uh, we will be back again recording after the uh, double game week to, to pick over the uh, the wreckage and uh, frantically help me with my wildcard, I'm sure. Um, as, as we said before, the pods are going to be a little bit shorter and shallower due to the, the quick turnaround um, over the game weeks, but we'll, we'll still put in as much graft um, as we can to, to keep um, you all entertained um, as the football begins to get again. Yeah, that's like to take the format of market forces and key issue and then kind of questions. So that's a, as Nick said, quick turnaround, but hopefully we'll be able to rise to the challenge of uh, having to do two podcasts a week. Maybe it won't be um, as deep in terms of the themes and things like that, but hopefully we'll be able to identify and bring our own WGTA spin to these issues. As Anthony said, remember the FCAs, um, but overall, we hope this issue pick your team for double game week slash going forward and see you after the double game weeks. That's a look. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.